and welcome to Taking Care of Business. I'm Jackie Mitchell. This is where we pick the best brains in the business world and you, the listener, feel like you are eavesdropping on a really interesting coffee conversation to give you and your business the inside edge. We take a look into the minds and brands of successful leaders and probe into how they think, feel, learn, manage teams and themselves. This show is about connecting and creating conversations that matter building your powers of influence, persuasion, and ultimately communication. We explore the latest evidence-based findings in neuromarketing, consumer behavior, business techniques, tips, trends, and tricks. We love sharing the knowledge and serve brain food to keep your business healthy. To continue eavesdropping and to connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and my website, Brandstorm. So while our first guest settles in, orders their coffee, grab yourself one and we'll be right back after this. Hi, Pete here from the Mornington Telstra Business Centre and I'd like you to meet some of my team. This is Scott. Hey. Daniel. G'day. And Kathy. Hi, how are you? Now whether you need tech support, new products or simply some advice on the best gadgets for your business, our team of experts can offer you tips, tricks and answers to your questions. So drop by for a chat today, or if you'd prefer, give us a call on 1300 My Business. That's 1300 692 874 to book an appointment, or we can come to you. There are four ingredients to business success. The recipe is business, innovation, tech, and a dash of entrepreneurialism. All bite. Hi, it's Jackie Mitchell. Join me and feast your mind at the business event of the year. The place to be for every business owner. We'll be broadcasting live Thursday, the 20th of June at the Frankston Arts Centre. Now in its third year, bite is bolder, bigger, better. The proof is in the pudding. For more information and tickets, go to biteconference.com.au, a station sponsor. At Bendigo Bank, we're not your typical big bank. We don't have big egos or big attitudes. We don't splurge on big junkets or shoot big commercials. We don't make big empty promises or keep big secrets. No, we just think by doing the little things right, will make a big difference to our customers. So try Bendigo Bank, the better big bank. A station sponsor. You're listening to Jackie Mitchell on RPPFM, taking care of business. to taking care of business. Our next guest is a corporate innovator. He works with startup accelerators, children's entrepreneurship. Oh, I'm dying to find out more about that. And podcasting. Please welcome Steve Glaveski. Good to have you on the show. Now, 
you do lots of different things. Let's just start off with this corporate innovation that you do. What sort of mm-hmm. work does that entail? Yeah, so that entails the work that I do with um, Collective Campus. And basically, we essentially help large Fortune 500 organizations uh, update their uh, values, their systems, their processes in order to support the mindset and the behaviors that uh, are key to entrepreneurship. So moving quickly, taking risks, um, which often doesn't come easy for big listed companies who have a lot to protect. Um, And it also helps to upskill their workforce on things like uh, design thinking, the lean startup, agile methodologies, as well as partner them with startups. So basically operate across capability building, culture change and collaboration with startups. Yeah, well, the Collective Campus was recognised in 2018 as one of Australia's fastest growing new companies by the Australian Financial Review and Corporate Innovation Startup Accelerator, uh, which you've got a base in Australia and Singapore, mm-hmm. uh, that you've been home to over 100 startups and you've raised yeah. more than 25 million US and you've worked with... Village Roadshow and Microsoft, they're pretty impressive credentials, Steve. Uh, yeah, look, I think <laughs> I like to say that it's all cumulative, right? So the one yeah. something those credentials build up. Yeah, I, I, I love that attitude and I find that consistent with a lot in the startup world. It's been, oh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, what's next, what's next? And, mm. and you just sort of have that uh, continue. Were you born like that? Like, how did you get into this? Uh, I think I always had a entrepreneurial itch or at least a creative itch, if you will. I mean, I can think back to being eight years old and my dad not buying me the magazines I wanted to, to, to buy, like basketball magazines. So I'd just go off and draw my own magazines, full, full, uh, complete with little pull-out posters, if you will. Um, so I guess there was a part of me that just never took no for an answer. And when he came across a problem, would always try and come up with a solution of some kind. Um, so I guess I've... Uh, taking that uh, into adulthood, if you will. Yeah, and uh, obviously uh, you do like a little bit of variety in what you do because mm-hmm. you also host an iTunes chart-topping podcast mm-hmm. uh, that gets more than 100,000 listeners a month and it's called Future Squared and you've won a couple of podcasting awards. How did you start that? Yeah, so Squared was just going to be a bit of a marketing uh, channel for us, but it became so much more. Uh, we published that onto Apple Podcasts. And before we knew it, we were on New and Noteworthy, and that got us into the Apple Podcast chart. So I quickly took a screenshot of that um, and then used that to help us secure big names. Um, so some of my guests have included the likes of Kevin Kelly, who founded uh, Wired Magazine, uh, Robert Green, uh, who wrote The 48 Laws of Power, and, um, say, uh, Gretchen Rubin, who wrote The Four Tendencies, and even Adam Grant, um, who wrote the book Original. So I've had numerous guests, but it still is a marketing channel for us. But apart from that, it's access to amazing thinkers. It's relationship development. It's also personal brand building. And it's an opportunity for me to learn a hell of a lot about such a broad range of topics from everything, everything from neuroscience to entrepreneurship, to technology, economics, politics, psychology, philosophy, you name it. And I find that when you read or learn across disparate areas, it just helps you connect a lot of dots um, and makes you... It informs your decision-making and your problem-solving in a way that knowing a lot about a very narrow uh, field of subjects um, just wouldn't do. 
Yeah, it's certainly good if you're a, a consultant or certainly or at the very least makes you an interesting dinner party guest. <laughs> uh, but but I, I hear what you're saying with this show. It's the same thing I get to speak to people like yourself and it's almost like you're going to university for the day. That brain p- picking is just wonderful. I, I, it really is it, very stimulating. Yeah. And it's so immersive as well. Mm. Uh, I think when it's a conversation with someone, uh, I find the neural uh, connections tend to be a little bit more stronger than they are if I was to just read it uh, in a book. I agree totally, and I do like the, uh, the the format of radio or podcasting, that audio format, because it really is the theatre of the mind, so you can really tap into that, that creativity side of mm. things. Now, you yeah. also founded a Lemon Stand, which I love the brand name of, a children's entrepreneurship program. Uh, how did that happen? Yeah, with the Lemonade Stand, basically what happened was um, we... Uh, one of my employees um, more or less suggested, hey, during December and January, business is really quiet with the corporates. They all go off on a holiday and forget about working uh, for a little while and don't really pick up until February. But school kids are on break. And as we know, the world is fast-changing. Um, kids need to learn to become more adaptable in order to succeed in the 21st century. And stuff they're learning in school, while relevant, may not help them with that. So how about we take what we're teaching large organizations and startups around rapid experimentation, building prototypes, marketing, and so on, and put kids. And we've had kids as young as seven come through the Lemonade Stand program, which has been rolled out to over 1,000 kids. So it's basically a two-day workshop where kids run through the whole gamut of uh, tell me about a problem you want to solve, uh, coming up with solutions to that problem, building a business model around that, building some prototypes, websites, landing pages, and things of that persuasion to test their ideas and then pitching their idea at the end of the two days to an audience. Um, and that's been so successful that we now built that into an online version that we'll be launching in April um, to basically scale that through schools and also individuals who want to buy uh, or purchase a subscription to that. But that essentially, what, what we really want to see kids learn to become is more adaptable, uh, more critical thinkers, because for so long, things changed very slowly, but now we're finding that up to... of today's jobs are more likely than not to be automated in the next 10 to 15 years. So things that even white-collar jobs, uh, blue-collar jobs, service sector jobs are under threat. Um, And the only antidote to uncertainty is to get really good at adaptability, um, which is what uh, Stephen Hawking said. You know, um, adaptability is essentially intelligence. So adapting to uncertain circumstances, uh, I think entrepreneurship is an awesome vehicle to help kids with that and also just to become more resilient um, with their mindset because they're going to learn to hear no um, as part of entrepreneurship, but no is really a lesson learned. And with each no you hear, you can make those changes that are required to get to a yes. Oh, that's so inspiring, really inspiring. Uh, Have you noticed when you're dealing with the children any gender preferences? Are you finding that more of the the boys are more attracted to the tech side Mm. compared to females? What's your view there? Yeah. I mean, I know there's been studies performed on, on gender predispositions towards certain types of work, um, and I think uh, the studies around psychology suggest that um, girls prefer work whereby they're dealing more with people, whereas boys prefer work where they're dealing more with things. Um, however, that's not true across across the board. Um, you're going to have a lot of overlap as well. But we do find that the girls in the, in the Lemonade Stand program come up with a lot more altruistic ideas um, like solving big problems, whether it's to do with the environment, whether it's to do with homelessness, uh, whether it's to do with the welfare of animals. Um, and we find that the boys are often looking at 
things, um, like creating uh, one, one such example I can think of is a Netflix for video games. Uh, video games are so expensive, how can we um, bring down the price? Well, why don't we just create a Netflix for video games where you pay $10 a month and we can play a lot of games. So um, I think you see some of those sensibilities come out as kids at a, at a very young age. Oh, that must be fascinating. <laughs> I'd, mm. I'd be totally obsessed with looking at that behaviour. But let's talk now about your new book. It's your first published book called Employee to Entrepreneur. What motivated you to write it? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the statistics today, over 50% of people are dissatisfied at work. And I myself spent about a decade in the corporate world uh, working for big brands like EY and Macquarie Bank and KPMG. And, and whilst I learned a lot there during my first few years, I got to a point where I had, I suppose, what you would call, quote-unquote, the trappings of success, but deep down I felt miserably comfortable, uh, whereby I didn't really see the value of what I was doing come the end of the day. I was quite unfulfilled, and I felt that I could give a hell of a lot more. And there's so many people in the same position, but they don't know what to do, like what's step one, and they're scared of falling into a lot of the common pitfalls because 96% of startups fail, and usually it's because they... um jump to conclusions or they end up in with paralysis analysis. And a lot of that comes out of the behaviors we learn in the corporate world around research, analysis, planning, calling a meeting with a few people whenever a decision needs to get made just so we can spread that accountability. And and ultimately, you can get away with that in a, in a big corporate environment because you've got a business model that makes money and you're essentially playing defense. You're protecting that. But as an entrepreneur, particularly during the early stages, there's so much uncertainty you haven't got a business model that makes money yet, and you're playing offense. So you need to move quickly, you need to take risks, you need to learn what works, what doesn't, and move forward. And you know, too much research analysis and planning can be the undoing of many, many an entrepreneur. So the book basically distills my seven years in the entrepreneurial space, be it all the work I've done working with you know, almost 100 startups, uh, over 50 large organizations, uh, read hundreds of books, you know, just had thousands of conversations, all that sort of stuff, distilled into 280 pages. And it basically covers everything from why you should get into entrepreneurship, whether entrepreneurship is right for you, um, how do you identify your purpose, what you should work on, uh, how do you experiment quickly, what are some awesome marketing and sales strategies you should use, as well as how to 10x your productivity because it's easy to get busy being busy, but it's another thing to get busy being effective and still have time to spend with family and friends come the end of the day. Yeah, so what sort of mindset or character attributes are fundamental to success for an entrepreneur? Yeah, uh, I mean, there's a few, but the, the biggest, the two biggest ones really, uh, and I'll quote Calvin Coleman as president, he said that uh, talent's Education and genius aren't enough. The world is full of educated derelicts, is what he said. Um, hmm. Persistence alone trumps everything. Um, so persisting in the face of setbacks after, well, setback after setback after setback and having a really positive relationship with adversity, I think that's going to get you further than anything else will. Um, and that's why I think schools place a lot of emphasis on the technical ability and perhaps not enough on the emotional intelligence that really underpins success across a number of different fields, not just entrepreneurship. Um, so being comfortable with your ego being challenged, I think, is a big thing, which is why I like to put myself in the firing line sometimes in terms of my own ego being challenged. Um, just the other night, I got up on stage at a open mic stand-up comedy um, event in front of like 20 or 30 people, which is a small audience. And if I was to do a keynote on entrepreneurship, that would be nothing, but they're expecting me to make them laugh. And that is a whole different ordeal, and it can be quite uh, <laughs> confronting. So I think if you've got a history of putting yourself in the firing line of having your ego challenged um, and you're comfortable with that, um, you're probably, 
you've got some of the prerequisites, or one of the big re- prerequisites, rather, to having a shot at entrepreneurship being a potentially a rewarding career path for you. Did you get a laugh? I got one. Um, <laughs> however, having said that, about five of my jerks fell completely flat. <laughs> you, you actually need plants in the audience to laugh and then everyone will follow. Uh, now, you, you mentioned earlier about planning. A lot of entrepreneurs spend too much time planning so they get that paralysis by analysis factor. Mm-hmm. But how much planning should be done in your view? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a difficult question to answer without having the context of what are we actually planning for, what are the variables we're looking at. Um, and what's, what's the bare minimum? So if, if, so if someone's wanting to start a business, they're wanting to become mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, they've either got a new business idea or they're involved in a startup or some idea, business idea, what's the bare minimum they should do from a The bare minimum they should do is basically identify uh, the problem, the solution and the customer segment. Um, and, you know, they can spend time looking at Gartner and Forrester research reports, or they can just find out what the assumptions underpinning this problem, this solution, and these customer segments are, and go out and test them as quickly as they can. So a really simple example of that would be, um, say, hypothetically, it's 2008, and I've come up with the idea for Uber. Rather than building the platform, building a 100-page business plan, onboarding hundreds of drivers, what I'll do is test the biggest assumption, which is that people will actually trust a stranger enough to get into a vehicle with them. How could I test that? Well, I could go out on a Saturday night to a busy taxi queue where people are waiting for a, for a cab and just ask people whether or not they'd be willing to spend or to pay $20 to get a, a ride home with a stranger, providing that we showed them proof that this person wasn't a criminal or something to that effect. Yeah. Would people say yes or no? And that's the fastest, quickest, cheapest way you can start to test those key assumptions that underpin your business model because you're going to have a lot of assumptions that underpin your idea, but there's going to be maybe two or three make or break ones. And if they turn out to be false, then you can get everything else right, but the business more likely than not is not going to succeed. Steve, when you are out at a bar or a barbecue or something and someone asks you, what do you do? How do you describe yourself? Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. And it's, it's a difficult one to answer, particularly when I do podcasting and book writing and working with corporates and kids and all this sort of stuff. And I used to say I am a corporate innovation consultant, but I, I like to read people's body language, and that didn't get people excited. So nowadays I open with I'm an author, <laughs> and, and, and that gets the conversation going. And then as a byproduct of that conversation going, like, well, how did you get into that? And then I can start talking about the other work that I do. But if I open with I'm a consultant, um, that pretty much kills the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I was, I was thinking you don't call yourself a serial entrepreneur. Uh, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a serial killer. I always laugh at that one. Steve Glaveski, employee to entrepreneur. Uh, a great read, How to Earn Your Freedom and Do Work That Matters. Uh, I assume you can buy that book anywhere books are sold? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can buy it at all the big uh, bookstores like Dimix, you can find it online at Amazon, Booktopia, you name it, it's there. Just search for Employed Entrepreneur and Google and it'll, it'll pop up. It'll be the first thing. Great. And I've just a quick last question. Your website, Employed Entrepreneur, it's dot, is it I? I, 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 o. I, I haven't seen that before. What's that stand yeah. for? Uh, input, output. Oh, okay. I wasn't oh, sure cool. if it was 10 or <laughs> or what. I actually quite like the thought if it was 10. So people are now moving away from the .com into other 
dot yeah. something else. People are moving away. I think, I mean, a lot of that is because it's a bit of a land grab and most of the dot-coms are already taken. Mm. And if you want to secure a dot-com, you probably have to pay upwards of $5,000 for a, you know, a common word, uh, if not more. Um, whereas the .ios, the .ccs, uh, the .tvs even are starting to um, make a bit of a run and, and they're just a lot cheaper um, to get started with. Yeah, well, it's, it's a way for you to walk the talk. I like it. Steve Gleveski, thank you so much for your valuable time. Thank you so much, Jackie. It's been a pleasure. I loved it. Uh, you're listening to Taking Care of Business as we pick the best brains in the business world. We were right back after this short break. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We hope you're enjoying eavesdropping on our very interesting conversation and I know you'll enjoy our next guest. She's an experienced leader in design with a history in the management in creative, business and healthcare industry. She is a director of a fashion brand called Be Serious. Her focus is on designing original handbags and accessories, but also with a strong social purpose. I'd like to welcome to the show for the first time, Vanessa Eldridge. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Jackie. Good to have you here. Now, your business, Be Serious, now it's B dot and it's Serious, S-I-R-I-U-S. How did you come up with that? Um, so the name is from uh, the previous owner of the business um, and it was about uh, a time in her life where she felt like she wanted to do something creative but also be a little bit serious at the same time. Um, and love the constellation serious, and that's how it came about. Well, you're going to laugh. As I've said the word be serious, my phone has t- spoken to me because my phone thought oh. I was saying, hey, Siri. It does it to me all the time, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So now, now you, how long have you had the business for? Um, about 18 months now. Right. Now, you said you bought it off somebody. Tell us the, the story of how that happened. Um, it was a, a sort of accidental, actually. Um, um, I was at a bit of a time in my career, my healthcare career, where I um, wasn't very happy with where I was at, uh, in the caught up in the bureaucracy. Um, and I, uh, my husband actually bought me uh, a Be Serious handbag uh, as a little gift, a little pick me up. And um, when when we went to the shop to buy it, the lady said to me that there wouldn't be any more of these bags because. Um, the business was closing down, and um, so that night I couldn't stop thinking about it, and so I decided to take a really ridiculous plunge um, and made contact with the the owner and um, offered to purchase the business. And so it wasn't part of my planning; it it, it just happened. Yeah. Now, now, when you go through that process of contacting the owner, how does the conversation go? Like, did you have a figure in mind or did you start the conversation with, have you ever thought of selling? How would that look like to you? How did you, did you get some advice? What was the process? Um, I didn't, I didn't get any advice other than, um, from talking to my, my husband and my family. Um, and I, I honestly didn't even, consider the price. I had no idea whether it was going to be affordable for us, but because I was so passionate about it, um, I, I just felt like I had to to ask the question whether it was for sale and to explain to the lady that um, 
I loved the bags and I had multiple of them and I just couldn't bear to see it disappear. So it um, it, it just it, it evolved over multiple conversations with her and then we finally started to talk about money and um, it, it was like it was in the stars. I, I, I don't know, it, it, it just happened uh, to be right, the right fit. And what uh, what experts did you bring into the process? Accountants, um, business brokers of any sort. What was who did you get to help you do that sale? So once we were at a certain point, um, I got the uh, profit and loss statements over the last few years, and then obviously um, sought the advice of an accountant to make sure I wasn't being completely naive. Um, and they, um, you know, did an assessment and then gave us some information on whether they thought that it was going to be um, profitable and feasible to continue. Um, and then, obviously, I had to speak with a lawyer um, in regard to um, purchasing the intellectual property um, and the trademark, that sort of thing. Mm. Um, and um, it was just a, a bit-by-bit process of involving different professionals as I needed to, and then signing the contract and, and there we have it. <laughs> is, this, is this your first business that you've done for yourself? It is, right. yeah. Wow, yeah. that's uh, certain, certainly gutsy. And so that was, eight, that was 18 months ago. Did you write a business plan? Uh, no. <laughs> no. I, I mean, I knew in my head what I wanted to achieve. Mm. Um, I got a lot of um, handover information from... Um, the previous owner, so she was very generous in the time that um, she gave to me in, in setting it all up. So, so I guess when I say no, I, I, I did in a way where I had an idea of how much I would need to invest to then, then how much I would get back um, and, and the processes along the way. So... So yes and no. Yeah, well, I think the the, the key takeaway message there, which I think is important for anyone listening and thinking about buying someone else's business, is to firstly create that good relationship and then to ask them, "What have you got that you can give me?" And have you got have you got some sort of ongoing relationship with her? Um, I I did. I haven't spoken to her for some time now, Mm. Um, but. She certainly offered um, to continue um, giving me advice um, and to to have input if I wanted it, um, and I utilised that as a resource for probably the first six months. Um, and then I, even though I've had some you know terrible days or some days where I've really questioned what I was doing, I have resisted the urge to contact her because I I'm also you know, an independent person and I want to make it my own and I thought I need to make my own decisions and and have my own failures and successes and know that I've done them. Yeah, that's that's a really good story. Now, I know as part of your business model, you uh, was to align to those who need help and you included a not-for-profit called Gen U. Tell us about that. Yeah, so, um, so in healthcare, um, my background is occupational therapy and management. Um, so I've always had a bit of a, a need to serve others. Um, so, so in creating my business and my um, setting up um, my my planning and my dispatching, my ordering, my um, um, you know picking and packing the things, I felt that I needed I needed it not just to be about me and my needs. 
so a friend of mine uh, from um, my child's school suggested I contact Gen U because they have, um, it's a social enterprise where they employ people who have disabilities and they work in a supported environment where they um, um, they, they learn skills um, which can then give them a, a step up into uh, other employment. Um, so I, I um, phoned Gen U and had a few initial meetings with them and so they have a warehouse where they um, store all of my products um, and they then pick and then post off all of my products for me. Um, and I, I go out there probably twice a week um, and, and meet with, with everyone and I, I, I feel like I'm giving back. Um, I mean, it's a service that I require in terms of managing on a day-to-day basis, but it's also... Um, I feel great about it. I feel like I'm actually contributing um, to the community and, and doing doing something not just for myself. Oh, that's that's uh, such, such a lovely story. Now, I know that you've... Um, Be Serious is now available in over 150 stockists in Australia. Yeah, in Australia and New Zealand. There we are. Sorry, that was my phone again. Every time I say your brand oh. name... <laughs> Every time I say your brand name, Siri talks to me. There you go. Uh, that, actually, there you go. So people can remember your brand name from remembering uh, Siri. Um, oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, that's really, it's really hilarious. So, yeah, you've got 150 stockists in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, and you uh, continue to expand globally. So you're going for world domination. Absolutely. <laughs> Good for you. So where's, uh, you've got Australia and New Zealand. You've pretty much got that sort of tied up, I suppose. Where's next? Um, I'm looking into the US market at mm. the moment. Um, yeah, it's, look, I love I love um, having stockists all over Australia. I, I feel so excited about being able to provide something to Australian people. And I must say, whenever I see someone with a be serious product, I, 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 you know, go up to them and ask them what they think about it, which is really quite funny for me and probably embarrassing for them. Um, but yeah, look, I'd really like to to expand globally. But look, it's a it's a step by step process, and um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I'm I'm not quite sure whether that will be successful, but I'm really happy to be supplying stores in Australia. Yeah. So, how many have you got on your team now? Um, well, look, it's really me, um, and my husband is my greatest support, um, and my two little girls, our two little girls who are. 12 and 9. They do a lot of um, uh, stuffing of envelopes and things at home, (laughs) get pocket money. Um, And then I I outsource a lot of things. So I use, um, I have a graphic designer, um, I have a web designer, obviously um, Gen U, um, who do all my stories and and dispatching. Um, I have an accountant. So it's very much... um, me and my family, and then um, and then I purchase services as as I need them. Yeah. So if someone yeah. was thinking of doing what you did eighteen months ago, what advice would you give them? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I laugh because I think how crazy I was to to do it, but I also I'm so happy that I did it. I I feel so proud of myself. So. If it's within their capacity to do it from a resource perspective, um, absolutely go for it because um, I feel like I'm doing something useful and fun 
But I'm also, you know, turning a profit and, and, and making a little bit of money to, you know, pay for my daughter's ballet lessons and school fees and all of those things. So, um, you know, you only get one chance at this this life, so absolutely go for it if, if, if you can and if you've got some support around you to keep you going. Yeah, that's really inspiring. And I love talking to business owners like yourself, Vanessa, because... A lot of the media are focused on the big, high-profile business people. And look, I, I do speak to a couple of those, but I like to also balance it out with small business owners who, in my view, are as inspiring, if not sometimes a bit more inspiring, because people listening to you can go, yeah, I can relate to that. That's me. Uh, and if, if Vanessa can do it, well, maybe I can do it as well. So that inspiration is is really valuable. So it's been delightful chatting with you today. I'll say be serious one more time and see if my phone goes off it doesn't this time so i wish you all the best continued success and be serious vanessa eldridge thank you so much for your time today thanks so much for having me good chatting with you as we are here listening to the best brains in the business world and getting inspired here on taking care of business we'll be right back after this short break welcome back to taking care of business where we speak to some of the best brains in the business world and our next guest is a leadership specialist. She helps leaders maximise their talent and strengths to achieve extraordinary results. She's a facilitator, coach, speaker and author who works with the C-suite and to create high-performance organisations that delivers a wow factor. I love the wow factor. I'd like to welcome to the show Wendy Bourne. Hi, Wendy. Hi. I love the wow factor. I sort of thought to myself, oh, maybe they were initials, you know, W standing for Wendy. But then I thought, oh, no, that, that, that's obviously a silent B in there. <laughs> yeah. Now, you've just released a book. Is this your first book? It is my first book. It's called The Language of Leadership. Well, congratulations because no one ever – I don't think people talk enough about how hard it is to write a book. No. <laughs> uh, how long did it take you to write it? Oh, it's, look, it's probably a couple of months. You, you write about a chapter um, a, a week, mm. and so it's got nine chapters in it. But to be honest, the hardest thing about writing the book was picking the cover. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> I agonised over the cover. The rest of it kind of just came out of me. Right. So. And so what what got you writing a book? Why did you do it? Because I had all of this uh, information in my head that I really wanted to synthesise into um, a structure uh, and a model that can help people to make sense and um, look at leadership from a simple and practical way. Because we often, in today's world, we just overcomplicate stuff and, you know, everything's got to be so complex but I just thought, I, I, I just want to make it simple and practical. It's not easy, but it's simple and practical for leaders. Okay. Well, congratulations. It's called The Thank Languages you. of Leadership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I love communication. That's my uh, sweet spot. Yeah. And and language, particularly mm-hmm. with, with this medium being audio, I like it because you sort of the, the – 
theatre of the mind. Yeah. Uh, you can get sort of a bit crowded with that. But words are really important in creating those mental images. Uh, and you talk here about words, actions and behaviours to influence your team, peers and boss. So how do you separate words versus actions versus behaviour and then how can you get them working together? Well, uh, that's a good question. It's uh, always important in leadership that our words, actions and behaviours are aligned to each other because our brains are constantly looking for validation of things and if we, are, if we have a leader who says something but their actions and their behaviours don't align with those words, we automatically can see through it. So that, and that's just a, a something that our brains automatically do. So um, making sure that what we say is aligned to the actions that we do in front of people and we embed those and they, they're behavioural. Does that well, make sense? Yes, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely makes sense. So when you're dealing with leaders and huh? you're working with, uh, with leaders of teams and things like that, where huh? do you start? Do you start with the words or do you start with the actions? Uh, I think um, words are probably the best place to start because, you know, every, every, um, everything that we do in work or at home is through a relationship with somebody else. And, you know, words are the first thing that we do with, through conversation. And so, so making sure that what we say um, is the right thing to say and and in line with what we, so our beliefs are and, um, and then our actions and, um, and our behaviours. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's really the, the getting the balance right. So in your experience, Wendy, what are some of the key challenges or the areas that uh, people aren't so good at? Um, in my experience, they, I often see leadership teams come together and they have a conversation and they agree to do something and then they leave the room and they go back to their desk and work gets in the road or for whatever reason, they don't do what they agree to and they get pressure from their own teams mm. and the people around them and, you know, there's a number of reasons that, that they don't do what they, they agree they would say to. And and then, you know, there's this mismatch. You know, it'll go out and be communicated to the broader community that the leadership team has agreed to do this and then all of a sudden, you know, one team is doing either not doing it or doing the opposite to it. So, and then we then we develop these silos in businesses and, you know, everybody's running off doing the same thing and, you know, we're not all working towards the one goal. Yeah. Do you ever yeah. touch on, like, working with entrepreneurs, for instance, or um, single <laughs> business owners... And I know this is, might sound a little bit schizophrenic, but that, that, that the, because they're a leader in their own right, that they're running yeah. a business, they're an entrepreneur, they're having to lead themselves, yeah. then what language that's almost self-talk, do you ever go down that mm-hmm. road? Oh, it, so in coaching I do, absolutely. Self-talk mm. is a, a big thing that we all have to deal with. And, you know, I mean, I, in starting my own business, you know, you're always – thinking, am I doing the right thing? 
you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, what if people judge me? What are people going to think? Maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. You know, it's, it comes into everything that we do, male or female. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's fascinating. What's some mm. of the good self-talk or the most popular self-talk uh, elements or phrases that you would give to an entrepreneur or or, or, or a business owner? Uh, take a breath. I always say take a breath and <laughs> and uh, a big deep breath and you know keep going one step after the other right. and just yeah. keep going and. You know, and you know, we all fail, and we all do the wrong thing, and we all learn by that. And you know, as long as you are learning from it, just keep going one step after the other, and just keep going in the direction that you want to go. Yeah. Okay. That's really good advice. Now, the concept of influence, and you you touch on this as one Mm. of the, I suppose, outcomes or benefits of improving the language of your leadership style is to increase your influence. Why do we need to increase our influence? Is it the same as persuasion and influence? Are they the same thing? Uh, why do we need to increase it? And what are some techniques to improve our influence? Um, I think we, we all need to influence somebody in, in work, um, whether it be the customer to buy what you're selling or you know, people in organisations to work with you to achieve what you're trying to achieve. So, so yes, it's, it's critical that we are able to influence people. Um, I always think that trust is a, is a really good place to start when we influence people and, and having trust between two people um, helps that process of influencing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. does, absolutely, yeah. And, mm. Please, no, go I on. just think, you know, um, as a foundation, we can achieve so much and I see leadership teams that trust each other uh, implicitly can can then challenge each other respectfully without fear of damaging that relationship. And, you know, I mean, I think Simon Sinek said, you know, people buy from from organizations because they trust them mm. and you know to me trust is the heart and the foundation of of everything and if we can get that right and we can work on trust it, it certainly helps us to influence yeah trust is almost the uh, the word of the moment uh, yeah. it's it's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and i think mm. a lot of a lot of leaders particularly a lot of businesses take that for granted, I think, and you've yeah. certainly got to earn it. It's almost at the end, not at the beginning. What's your view? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I always use the example of um, it's a bit like the trust that you have with your mum. So, you know, your mum, you trust your mum generally, most people, and, you know, but if you do something wrong, your mum will tell you where to get off in no uncertain terms yeah. generally. <laughs> and, but there's no damage to your relationship because you trust her and you know she will tell you the truth, whether that's the hard truth or, you know, the good truth. So um, having that foundation of trust along that solid line um, will always help you to be able to have those difficult conversations when you need to without damage to your relationship. Yeah, that's great advice. Now, Wendy, I must ask you, what got you into this field of uh, being a leadership specialist? Good 
question. I um, went through um, an outplacement process as I was being retrenched from an organisation and through that process I had a look at all of the experience that I had had over my career and when I was at my best and when I was playing to my strength and it was when I was working either on or with a leadership team. And so um, going through that process and looking at that from a whole of career perspective, I thought, well, you know, this is where I really, you know, get my energy from and I can see that, you know, I help leaders and leadership teams to, to shift the stuff that gets in the way of them moving forward. So, so yeah, so then I started my own business and went from strength to strength, really. And the, your business name is? Uh, so, it's, well, my core business of working with leadership teams is First Team First mm-hmm. um, because I believe that if the leadership team doesn't get it right, the company or the function or the organisation will never reach its full potential. Yeah, okay, I love it. Now, if anyone listening here today mm-hmm. wants to... F- link up with you they can find you on LinkedIn of course under leadership specialist I think is that right and your website is wendyborn.com.au at least your name is easy to pronounce and easy to spell (laughs) it's brilliant yeah it's yeah simple b-o-r-n b-o-r-n I usually get all sorts of you know the born identity and That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah no, Wendy Bourne, really mm-hmm. straightforward and uh, and very easy and I love it. And I love that the book, uh, Languages of Leadership, uh, everywhere, books are sold, I imagine. And uh, yeah. congratulations yeah. on your first book. And, uh, and I'm sure a lot of those looking at improving their leadership with their team, their peers or their boss should give it a read. Wendy Bourne, yeah. thank you so much for your precious time today. That's my pleasure, Jackie. Thanks for having me.